the Knicks, Jets, etc. podcast with Alex Trateris, John Malika, and Ricey on the beat. Let's go. Welcome, everyone, to another Knicks episode of the Knicks, Jets, etc. podcast. With me, as always, is my buddy, my coach, my pal, the man with the plan, John Malika, the man who has no voice today but is ready to get on this pod <laughs> and just be hungover from his trip in Miami and living in paradise. John, how are you doing today? Man, I'm good. I'm trying my best to keep my voice semi-decent. Um, hell of a weekend. I went straight from that Knicks Spurs game to Miami. Just got off the flight. And got on this record, so I'm trying my best. But before we get into all that, um, Nick's family, we just want to send our thoughts and prayers with Alex's family. Um, we all know he's been going through some tough times. Um, and honestly, everyone, Alex, has been reaching out to me um, to get to you and your family, has been asking me about you. I've been, you know, trying to uh, relay the message to you. So from the bottom of all of our hearts, like, we wish you well. And, um, you know, just let your family, we're thinking about them. Appreciate it, John. I really, I really do appreciate that. And thank you to everyone who's been reaching out to me. Uh, it has been a difficult time, but I appreciate everyone who's reached out, checking in on me and giving your words of wisdom during this difficult time. Uh, don't think I don't take that seriously and take that to heart because I really do appreciate all, everyone who's reached out. But John, we're here guest. today. To, we, we're here. We're, we're here to talk about a lot of great things. New York Knicks clinched the fourth spot, you know, and what better way? to talk about the Knicks making the playoffs after eight years. Eight-year drought. Haven't been there since the 2012-2013 season with Melo, 54-win season. All right, they clinched the fourth spot in the Eastern Conference. They got home court advantage. People thought that it would just be a play-in team if they even were trying to sniff the playoffs. We did better than that. And no one better could we have on this podcast to discuss the New York Knicks than Moke Hamilton. Everyone, you probably know this man as a senior writer and editor for Basketball News. You probably read his writing previously at Basketball Insider, The Athletic, or SNY. You probably heard him on SNY and ESPN New York Radio. Moke, welcome to the pod. How are you doing today, my man? I'm doing great, Alex. Thanks, thanks, man. I should I should hire you to be my hype man. I should just, <laughs> just have I should just have you follow me around and just walk into a room before me, just be like, you guys probably recognize this guy. <laughs> he was here last week ordering an extra large burrito. He is <laughs> none other than Moke Hamilton. I thought you said we were going to have John. That sounded like Brooke Lopez, man. You told me we were going to have John. Sounded like you had Brooke Lopez. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'll, take, I'll take Brooke Lopez for now. <laughs> Standing no. at six foot three, Moke. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but but no, man, th- thanks a lot for having me, man. It's uh gives me great pleasure t- to be here with you guys. Um, I've definitely appreciated the the interaction and the the discourse that we've had over Twitter, you know, and we've had a lot of good discussions over the course of the season. I'm happy to be joining you and your audience here and, and talking about the Knicks and what we should expect from them heading into the postseason now. For sure. I mean, I. As you know, cause I know you're a Knicks fan as well. Um, it's been, it's been, it's been a while. It's been a while. And I actually, you know, we were talking a little bit before, uh, we started recording this pod. And I remember that Bleach Report article. I think it was your first one and you were talking about. No the, way. You remember. I actually, the, I, I'm all ears now. Man, you've been reading me for a while if you remember that. I what actually do remember. Ones, I think, I think, I think you were, if I remember correctly, you were talking about the progress and like where it was. It was just kind of like where we are right now. Right. Is that, is that, is that the one I think is it's, it's just kind of, it was like a historical process and discussing where the team is now and the direction they need to go. I think if I remember that vaguely, I know it was for Bleach Report too. I, it's so hard because I remember I can re- I hear your voice in it and I I wish I know I know I saw it because I remember reading that thing too. I am uh, I am I am beyond flattered. Um, <laughs> we, we were we were having our little production meeting before we started recording, and I had no idea you were gonna. Yeah, you pull pull the rabbit out. You have on that one. Um, no, but I mean, over the years, there have been so many columns and so many mixed pieces. Um, so many, you know, players coming in and out of the garden. Like it's really hard to remember 
something specific that you wrote. But it sounds like it sounds like me. It definitely sounds like something I did. <laughs> um, you know, I started off at Bleacher Report, um, bounced around a lot, obviously. Uh, but I mean, yeah, I'm, you 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 blew my mind with that one, man. You guys been 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 around for a long time, if you remember the Bleacher days. So I'm, I'm very flattered by that. No, it was a great article because it, it really like was a sense. It, I, I love the way you write and how you talk about the team because, you know, we can read people who could just be harsh about the team and just talk about, you know, whether it's James Dolan and everybody. But the way that you write and the way you discuss, it's a great storytelling aspect of it that I really appreciate. And it's a holistic approach where you, you, you mentioned the bad times and you mentioned the, the good that you can see, like there's a white at the end of the tunnel and you're able to blend that together. And I really appreciate that style of writing, Moke. I, I well, really do. Well, thank um, you. Thank you. But before we get into the Knicks, I just want to hear about your career to start off with. Let's let's get into this uh, writing career. As you said, you started off at Bleacher Report. You know, I've seen you at Basketball Insider. I've read your stuff for The Athletic. Uh, definitely saw you over at SNY and heard you on SNY. And I've definitely heard you on ESPN New York Radio. So how did you get, how did you break in? How did you start this career as a basketball writer? Yeah, that's uh, it's actually a really, really good question. And um, how did it start? Um, man, it, it started with a pen and a paper. You know what I mean? Um, although, you know, in, in, I was going to say 2021, but I guess I kind of started when I was in undergrad. I'm not trying to date myself, but I guess I'm about to now. I, I started, when did I start this writing thing? I started this writing thing when I was in undergrad, man, which would have been maybe like 2003, 2004. And, um, Facebook came out in like 2002, 2003, something like that. And I remember uh, at some point, Facebook started this thing called The Note, where it was mm. just like a personal blog on your Facebook page, and you could write a note, and you could tag your friends in these notes, and, you know, be like, hey, guys, like, look at what I wrote, you know what I mean? So I remember I did a Facebook, I wrote a Facebook note. Ah, I remember the very first thing that I wrote that got attention was, uh, for those of us that have been around for a little while, the NBA named... It's 50 greatest players in NBA yes. history in 1996. Yes. And I remember what I did was I said, okay, it's 2006 now. It was 2006. So I said, who are the next 10? Right? Like if we expand that list from 50 to 60, who are the next 10? And I remember I wrote that. Um, LeBron, I think, was already in my 10 <laughs> back in 2006. <laughs> So LeBron was in there, Kobe was in there, Iverson was in there, Duncan. I'm gonna I'm gonna go on my Facebook page and see if I can actually find that. I don't know if they removed those notes from the archive, but but yeah, man, it started with that. You know, it just started with that. Um, I was taking some creative writing classes in undergrad at Columbia University. I went to Columbia for undergrad, and uh, you know, I just got my friends talking. Um, I you know made the notes publicly accessible, and I went randomly one day on my Facebook page and I saw that the note had like 300 comments on it or something like that. And I'm just like, what is this? So that was the first thing that I ever wrote that made me feel like, okay, I can do this, you know? And um, shortly thereafter, you know, I did the notes for a bit and I think somebody from Bleacher Report, uh, Alan Kim, I want to say was the name of the editor there that I worked with at the time. So shout out to Alan. <laughs> um, he recruited me to Bleacher to, to 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 contribute content for them and from there you know you mentioned sny you know i got to show a lot of love to tommy d who is a dear friend of mine tommy saw some of my stuff i was writing about the nba cap and stuff like that so you know it's just been a, a brick by brick uh build you know what i mean like i, I feel like i kind of built not a mansion, you know, Stephen A got a mansion, you know, <laughs> Max got a man. I got like a little one bedroom shack with like a dining room, living room, kitchen combo. You know what I mean? But I got a little, I got a little structure, you know what I mean? And it was just built brick by brick and I was able to, to get some opportunities. So I was at SNY for a time. Like I said, it started out at Bleacher. You know, I was at uh, Basketball Insiders for a time, Hoops World. Um, you know, I was with Gannett, USA Today, um, The Athletic. I'm currently in a new role with basketballnews.com. I signed on with them, I want to say, in January or February of this year. And, you know, we're just, just trying to keep it going, man, just trying to keep building day by day and trying to get better at the craft and trying to do justice to to the things that we see and the things that we hear. Look, Alex, we got Mook Hamilton being humble on the Knicks Jets Etc. podcast right now. 
What's happening, man? What's happening? Tell him. <laughs> tell him, man. Tell tell the fans who don't know about Mook. Well, Mook. Oh my goodness, Mook. Your writing, man. Uh, first of all, let's just let me let me ask you this question though with with your writing before I before I go too deep. You said perfecting the craft when it comes to writing, right? Mm-hmm. What do you think is the most difficult part of perfecting your craft? Like, hmm. Uh, I, the most difficult part of, of perfecting the craft. Wow. Um, you know, the most difficult part, honestly, is predicting what is going to resonate with readership. Mm-hmm. That I think is, is the most difficult part, but that's something that you don't really have control over because sometimes you work so hard on a story or you, you know, you're editing the story, you're developing something with somebody else. It's going to be so great and you spend hours on it and it ends up dropping like a hot brick, which is not good, right? You don't mm-hmm. get the reads. You don't really get the attention that you want from it. So that's really difficult. But in terms of like an individual putting, you know, we say pen to paper, even though that's not how, that's not how most of us write these days. But when you're putting words on the sheet, um, I think it's just difficult to translate your, your, your senses into words, you know? And I remember a, a long time ago, um, one of my mentors, he kind of told me that when you're there, it's not only about what you hear. It's also about what you see. It's also about what you smell, you know? And like, when I talk about smelling, I remember, uh, so I covered seven NBA finals over the course of my career. And I was in Miami when LeBron won his first championship. And I remember that as soon as you walked in the locker room afterward, that the place it's it reeked of champagne and Budweiser because <laughs> that that's that, that's, that's victory. What, that's what victory smells like, and that's what they were spraying all over the locker room. And I'm pretty sure that the lead in the in the piece that I wrote on that championship kind of incorporated that. So um, I I think that's a difficult thing. Though. I think it, 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 it it's difficult to translate what you see and what you hear onto a sheet of paper because they're just letters and words, you know, one keystroke at a time. Um, and then the other thing I would say, definitely a bit of a challenge, especially in today, you know, today's media world, like we're doing a podcast and we're looking at each other. Right. And it just kind of underscores the fact that we're no longer siloed in our own specific niche, the way that we were 10, 15 years ago, 10, 15 years ago, if you were a columnist, you wrote columns. If you were a reporter, you were a reporter. If you were a radio guy, if you used your voice, that's what you did. Now we're kind of asked to switch hit and we're asked to do simulcasts and we're asked to just wear all these different hats and you have to be a well-rounded media professional. And that's not easy because everyone that speaks well and presents well on the air is not really a great writer and vice versa. So I think that those are probably two of the biggest challenges. Nice. Yeah, that that's like the coolest thing recently we've noticed is you have to be multidimensional. Right. And um we respect those um who can show us the way. Just to piggyback again, sorry for my voice. But um And don't worry about it, bro. <laughs> um, <laughs> we often struggle with writing, you know, Jets and Knicks, but also, you know, in our work in our daily work jobs with like letting a piece go. Right? Because we're perfectionists. And we have the answers and there's always more research. There's always more linking, but like, you don't want to make it too short. You don't want to make it too long. Right. How do you just let it go into the universe? Stop worrying about if it has enough, if if it will resonate with people. Like, how do you like, just like close it? You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, I mean, the only thing I, I guess I, I would say about that is with experience generally comes a little more confidence. So, I mean, I, I, I think that after you've been doing it for a while and you, you have a little more confidence in your abilities, it's like you say, okay, you know what? I'm going to sit down. I'm going to put a thousand words into this. I'm going to put 1200 words into this, or I'm going to do this pod in 45 minutes and I'm going to knock it out. And yeah, there's always going to be more a different angle or more of a discussion that you can have, but you don't really need to feel compelled to tell the whole story in one sitting, I think. And I remember, you know, I mentioned Tommy D. I remember one one thing that Tommy told me a long time ago, because 
especially when when you're doing on camera work and when you're doing TV stuff. Right. Because when you're on TV, it's like it's like everything. Like if you're if you're doing radio work, it don't matter what you look like. Right. As long as you speak and you don't speak monotone and you don't say um all the time. It's like, okay, yeah, you're fine. Like, you know, cool. And when you're writing, it doesn't matter if you say um in your head. As long as the words on the paper are there, you're good. But when you're doing TV, everything matters, right? Because people can see you, people can hear you. Like there's so many different things going going in in, in, in and out of your mind. So I remember early on um, when I first started doing on-camera work, you know, Tommy said, focus. You know, he said, sometimes when you're in a situation, if you're only going to be doing, you know, a, a rebuttal for 30 seconds or 45 seconds, you got your producer in your ear telling you're about to go to commercial or what have you, you might try to say too much in those 45 seconds. And sometimes when you try to say too much, you end up saying nothing. A lot of the time, it's better to just take one point or two points and just focus on those and make that argument and make that case. And the next time, you know what? You might still have more stuff to talk about. And that's the beautiful thing about, about this business and about being a content creator is you're always going to have another opportunity to write something else or to do another podcast or to do another video shot. You know what I mean? So, so that's, so that's what I would say. You know, focus is very important and, and um, just being strategic about what your aim is when you sit down to create a piece of content. That is great advice, Moke. Thank you for that. And really like John and I take that to heart because we were, and I'm sure for a lot of content creators who listen to this podcast out there, they're trying to move in that right direction. Just it's, a, it's such a hard balance, right. And trying to right. gather yourself and get into that, that mind space and just figure out, all right, let me cut down on saying, um, let me, let me be a little bit more concise in my writing or just let me, you know, elaborate a little bit more on the point that I want to make. Here's the paragraph I really want to get to, you know, really thank you for that because I, it is a difficult, I, I face that difficult challenge every single time when I just sit down and try to write. It's, I get that brain fart. I'm just like, where do I got to go? And I have to get up and walk. It's like, ah, that's where I want to go with this. Right. Okay. Right. Here, here, here's the paragraph that has to be the moneymaker, but. Regardless about content uh, creating, right? Let's talk about the thing that brings us a lot of joy. The New York Knicks. All right. Here we go. Here we go. For brings us joy. Wow. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> they are bringing us joy after quite some time of just misery. And Moke, I want to get your just general input on how you feel about this season overall. John and I, we're, you know, we, we came into the season believing maybe 24, max 26 wins for this team. We're going to see some inconsistencies. We're going to see a lot of gritty defense. Offense was probably not going to be there just because Tom Thibodeau was known as just a defensive guy. And what we saw last season, we were bringing a lot of the same guys back and we didn't see a lot of offense last season, but now we're seeing decent to now they've been on a really good streak of just putting up a lot of numbers. What is your overall take of the New York Knicks season this year? I mean, I don't think that anybody, you know, whether you're, you live in New York or you live in, you know, Oklahoma City or, or LA, I don't really think that you can deny that the Knicks have overachieved tremendously. You know what I mean? Like for them, to, granted, you know, they, they got the fourth seed by the skin of their teeth, but whatever, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. Like they're number four. They're going to host the Hawks in the first round. And that's not an outcome that anybody thought was, was plausible at all. If you look at the teams that didn't make the playoffs, you know, like nobody in their right mind. If you asked anybody who's going to get in, the Pelicans or the Knicks, like nobody would have taken the Knicks to get in and not the Pelicans. You know what I mean? Um, and, so, and the Hawks, the Hawks make sense. Everybody had the Hawks. Mm-hmm. They were worried about the defense, but right. the Hawks deserve to be there. But we're like the outlier, the outliers. You know right. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, they've over, they've overachieved. And I mean, you know, regardless as to what happens in, in the first round against the Hawks, you know, I do think that I think they're probably going to beat those guys. But even if they don't, this season is a shocking success. And what the Nets have taught us and what other teams around the league have taught us more than anything else is that no player is really interested in coming to be your savior. And I recognized this a long time ago but i think i think every so often 
we learn things about who we are as, as a sports culture and as a basketball culture. And I think the way that we treated Patrick Ewing taught us something. And I think the way that we treated Allen Iverson and Steve Nash, like there are so many lessons to be found in how we criticize these great players and what we say about them when their time has come and gone. You know, so Vince Carter and Tracy McGrady and Allen Iverson and even Carl Malone, like these guys were failures because they weren't able to win a championship. Right. So we blast LeBron for going to Miami and forming his super team with Chris Bosh and Dwayne Wade. And we blast Kevin Durant for that. And we have these things to say about James Harden. But you know what? When these guys were 10 years old and eight years old and however old they were, and they heard us trashing Allen Iverson because he couldn't win a championship, to them, it's like, okay, well, I need a championship. If I don't win a championship, I'm going to end up being remembered as not being worth my salt. Like I'm nothing if I don't have a ring. So for, for, for them, that ends up being the most important thing. And I think that, um, I lost my train of thought. I don't remember where I was going with all that. We were talking. About- <laughs> do you think, do you think that's correct? Do you think it is championship or bust? Like, do you think AI is less than a point guard who wins like Chauncey Billups? I don't think so. I, I don't personally, but I can understand why they feel that way. Mm. And, uh, but, but the point is, I'm, I'm trying to remember. So we were talking about the Knicks and the Hawks, right? And we're talking about overachieving and expectations. Yep. Mm-hmm. Man, I, 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 I just, I, I, totally I think you might have been going with the savior, like becoming like the savior of a mm-hmm. team. Yeah. And, ah. No one wants, no one wants to come in here and be the, the, the sole guy. Exactly. Exactly. Thank you very, very <laughs> much. That's exactly where I was going with that. So that's the thing. So when LeBron decides he doesn't want to come to New York, we, we shouldn't be surprised by that. Right. And when Durant on a busted Achilles decides he doesn't want to come to New York, like these things should not surprise us anymore. So I say that to say the fact that they've overachieved, the fact that they got into the playoffs and you look at, you know, they're going to have, I think the most cap space out of any team this offseason, right? They're, they're really far ahead of where we thought they were. You got Julius Randle on a pretty team-friendly contract relative mm-hmm. to what he produced. You got R.J. Barrett still on the rookie deal. You got Emmanuel quickly on a rookie deal. And then you have bird rights for Reggie Bullock and for Derrick Rose and for, you know, um, early bird for, or actually you'd have a non-bird exception on Nerland's Noel coming off the one-year deal. But, but the point is, all of a sudden, you look at this team, you're like, wait a minute, this is a team on the rise. This is a team that just overachieved mightily. They're the fourth seed in the conference. And now if I'm Lonzo Ball, I'm like, hold on, wait. And y'all gonna give me 30 mil or whatever it is that they're gonna bid for Lonzo. I, I, I believe that's gonna happen. Whatever it is that they're gonna bid for him, he's gonna look at him and be like, well, let's see. It'll be in the Eastern Conference. I'm not gonna have to worry about going up against Dame Lillard and Steph Curry, right? Like I can go East. And there's going to be some some obstacles there too, but the bottom line is they're just they're just so far ahead of the curve relative to what we expected coming into the season that if you're a Nick fan, I don't know that you should be any more excited. Like basically, right now you should be the most excited that you have been in the past eight years, ten years, maybe. Like absolutely. I don't know that the Knicks have been in this exact situation in a really, really, really long time. And, and everybody should feel good about that. Absolutely. I mean, you see, you point, and you hit it really on the head with the last, like with the, especially with the last pieces, right? Cap space. We got draft capital. We got mm-hmm. young players on young deal, on good deals, you know, Emmanuel quickly, RJ Barrett, whether what you think of Obi top, I still think he needs some time. He's still on a, he's still on a decent deal. I think he can be a decent role player on this team for the time being, you know, you got Julius Randle on a team friendly deal who you could extend him and still have him like on a team friendly extension. If you're able to extend him, right. All this stuff is great. And we're the four seed, you know, we got, you got bird rights, as you said, on Reggie Bullock and Derek Rose. So I hope both are back because they've just been so key for this team moving forward. So I agree. The Knicks are in that great, are in a really good sweet spot, honestly. So no mm-hmm. one has to come and be the savior. There's, it's like the Clippers when we saw when it was just Montrez Harrell and Lou Williams is leading that team into the playoffs and they, and they, you know, lost in the first round, but you got Kawhi and all these guys out there because, Hey, 
we don't, there's not a lot of stuff that is missing for us to go there and be successful. So I think right. other players will see that in the New York Knicks as well. But you did talk about a savior. And I'm going to relate this to the piece that you wrote about Scott Perry. Because Julius Randle has kind of been the savior of the New York Knicks in, in some sort of way. And you also wrote about Julius too. But I got, I want to go into the Scott Perry direction because I agree with your piece. He doesn't get enough love and people like to slander Scott Perry, especially when you see Alfred Payton on the team and, and so forth. Um, what do you, you know, would you, I know you give a lot of credit to Scott Perry in, in your piece, especially when you read that, you know, he was able to sit down with Julius Randle after they lost on Katie and Kyrie. You know, he didn't trade back uh, in the draft. He stuck to being three and getting RJ Barrett. Do you like how much, how much, how much credit do you, would you think he deserves? Like now that you're on, now that we have you here for this New York Knicks team being where it is, because we saw that transition with him coming in after Phil Jackson was fired, after they drafted Frank Nilkeen. And we've seen that small process of just like all these reacclimation projects, whether it's Mario Hazonia, Emmanuel Moutier, all these guys that were revolving doors. And now we've seen, we've gone through the revolving doors and now we're here in the success. How much do you have to put that on Scott Perry? Um, I mean, I would give him, I mean, if I were going to grade his performance, I guess I would probably give him, I might give him a B, B plus, okay. you know, like I'm, I'm not, I'm not even out here saying that he deserves an A plus or, or mm-hmm. an A, you know, um, because if you look at his track record, I mean, there are misses, right? There are things oh, for that, sure. he, that he did or things that happened on his watch that you look at and you're like, okay, well, that doesn't seem like it was a great move. However, and this is the thing that I think most fans don't, don't really understand. Every general manager has those on their record. You know, nobody's record is without a miss or without a blemish. Okay. If you think about it, every year, 60 players get drafted into the NBA. Every year, there are 60 players that get drafted. And I'm just making this number up, but I bet if we do the research, it will hold true. I think that probably 20% of those players end up having a career longer than their rookie contract. You at get most. what I'm saying? At yeah. Most. At, second at most. contract. Second contract. Yeah. yeah. Right. So so and, and that's the thing that I think a lot of, so so in other words, when people look at Scott Perry, people came at me on Twitter, you know, and the first thing that a lot of people said is they're like, oh well, how can you defend Scott Perry? He picked Kevin Knox over Shea Gilgis Alexander and over uh Michael Porter Jr. and whoever else there was. And I understand that, but that's not the lens through which you should judge a general manager's performance. What you should do is you should look at what he accomplished over the course of his, and I, I'm sorry, not accomplished. You should look at what he did over the course of his tenure, five years, eight years, whatever. Go down, go down the, go down the list. You know what I mean? Look at the moves one by one. And if you show me 50% of his moves panned out that were a net positive, then I think he did a good job. Because if your standard is going to be, oh, well, he should have picked, he should have picked Michael Porter Jr. over Kevin Knott. Well, what about the other 13 GMs that did not pick Michael Porter Jr., right? In other words, you're requiring a general manager to be able to tell the future. And that's just an impossible standard. Nobody can do that. Now, if a guy's on the job for eight years and he whiffs on everything he does and nothing works out, then okay, fine. But at the end of the day, really what my goal was with that Scott Perry piece is to just point out and say, hey, look, we're giving Julius Randle a lot of love. We're giving RJ some love. Tom Thibodeau is getting a decent amount of love, but no, and even Leon Rose and William Wesley, right? And obviously those guys have done something for this franchise. They have bought an air of, of respectability and seriousness to the franchise that has not been here in a very, very long time. But, but we cannot ignore the fact that Scott Perry in just a few years has his fingerprints on some of the moves that have actually gotten the Knicks to be in this favorable position that they're in right now. And obviously in that, in that is Julius Randle. In that is 
drafting R.J. Barrett in that is the cap space, in that is Mitchell Robinson, who they effectively got from the Carmelo Anthony trade. You get what I'm saying? Like there, mm-hmm. if you if you look at the record, there are things that he did since he's been here that have helped to put the team in a favorable situation. And me just being a truth teller, think that his name should be associated with some of the positives that are happening for the Knicks. Now, I didn't feel like that was happening. And that's the reason why I wrote what I wrote. And look, I agree with you 100 percent. You know, I like I like I think if you do look at Scott Perry's like tenure with the Knicks, right? I think it's, I would say it's probably close to about 50 50. The books are clean, right? We don't have anything atrocious on the cat that we, that we've seen with prior GMs and other managers, right? right. We have, you know, we got Mitchell Robinson, who could be a budding center. We have RJ Barrett, you know, you got Manuel quickly under, there's been, a, there's been a litany of good things that we've seen under, uh, Scott Perry. And I, and I agree that he should be getting some love. I'm not saying he's the greatest of all time, but agreed, agreed, but he's done, he's done a good job. Um, and, and, and I will say, Alex, if you want me to tell you some of those negatives, like I can, I can do that. <laughs> you know what sure, I mean? Well, sure. Let's um, quickly, quickly run them off. Well, I would, I would <laughs> one. well, obviously <laughs> drafting Kevin Knox to me, to me is a big one. Like that's the yeah. biggest one. I, I even mentioned that one in the, in the column because I felt like that was egregious personally. And I was there at the draft at Barclays. And if you Google it, you will find my tweet. <laughs> 10 seconds after the pick, I tweeted and I said something like, I will always remember that the Knicks drafted Kevin Knox over Michael Porter Jr. Three years from now, I wonder how this decision will look. My tweet said something to that effect. And, and it's true. I will never forget that. And now history won't forget either because it looks like Porter is that dude and Knox does not seem like he's that dude. So that's not something we're going to forget. Aside from that, when the Knicks struck out uh, on Kevin Durant and a second superstar, which is which is what they wanted, they had opportunities to absorb the contracts of some veteran players and get draft capital capital as a result. So Andre Iguodala was one of them that was out there. The Knicks could have absorbed Iguodala from whatever team was trying to get rid of him at the time. I don't know if it was the Warriors or who, but uh, he ended up going somewhere and there was a pick, maybe it was Memphis, if I'm not mistaken. Um, uh, the other one was um, Mo Harkless. Mo Harkless was out there. Mm-hmm. They had an opportunity to bring Mo home. Queen the, boy. And the funny thing is Mo did end up, did end up coming yep. to the Knicks you know, yep. In, yep. in another way. But the point is there were opportunities there. And you know what? Instead of absorbing those guys and getting whatever capital they could have gotten, the plan for the Knicks was to sign reclamation projects and sign guys that they felt could be good rotation players and trade those guys for draft picks at the trade deadline to contenders and to other teams that felt they were another piece of uh, one or two pieces away. And it made sense. It made sense, but it just didn't pan out. So, you know, Bobby Portis, for example, yes. um, Taj, Taj Gibson <laughs> was another one. And I um, mean, there were probably one or two other guys that they signed to very reasonable deals that they thought they would be able to flip for value. And Marcus Morris ended up being the only one that they were able to execute that strategy with. So if you employ that strategy, with four guys and you're only successful with one of them, then I would say that that's a, that's a black mark. That's a blemish, right? That's not, it's not good. One out of four is not good. But putting all that aside, I think that the pros far outweigh the cons because look at where the Knicks are now and look at the players that have brought them here and then look at those players and say, well, how did they get here? And, and the answer kind of has a common denominator. So we should show the guy some love. I don't think he will be brought back for the record, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. nonetheless, he deserves to have some positivity associated with his name because Knicks just had their best season in eight years, and he played a large part in getting the players to New York that ended up helping them get in that position. Reggie Bullock, by the way, another another signee of Scott Perry, if I'm not mistaken. So, yeah. so yeah, man, gotta show the guy some love. And he also the Bullock thing. He um he restructured with them, right? Yes, he because did. of yes, it. He did. Yep. So uh, let me ask you a, a diehard Knicks question. Um, at that time, we also had Steve Mills with Perry. Mm-hmm. So my question is, how do you separate the transactions between Mills and Perry? Like, do you just give 
you know, the three negatives out of five to, to Mills and then, you know, give the positive to Perry for the transactions that work out, that work out? Does it go like, um, my personal, um, interactions? Like you give Perry for Alfred Payton cause he drafted him. Like, is that, is that how you separate? Like, how do you kind of gauge that? Yeah, I think I think it just depends on what you know, right? Like it depends on what you know. And if you're in the room or if you have a source that was in the room when the decision was made, then it would give you enough education to be able to pass judgment, right? So if you know that if you if you have a source in the room and Steve Mills says, no, you know, I don't want us to sign uh uh, Bonzi Wells. I want us to sign Alfred Payton. Then, okay, fine. You can put that on Steve. But if you don't have that depth of knowledge or that depth of sourced information, then I think you just have to look at them as a tandem and you have to look at them a- as a collective, which is the way that it works most of the time in the NBA. And, and what I will say about that, as far as Steve is concerned, for the most part, General managers are given that job and given that title because they're the guy that we trust, right? So if you are a CEO and you built a company and you're like, man, today is tax day. You know, it's May 17th. I just did my taxes on TurboTax. Uncle Sam says I got to pay him $17,000, man. Where the hell am I going to get 17 grand? From? I don't know what I'm going to do, right? <laughs> and now you're crying. And now, you know, you, you don't know where you're going to get the money from. If you hire an accountant to do your taxes for you and your accountant comes to you and says, well, actually, look, man, I think we should strategize. I think we should do it this way. And it might be better. You might, you might only have to give Uncle Sam 12 grand. You'd be a fool to not take your accountant's recommendation in that scenario. Most of the time, most NBA franchises, the, 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 the decision making from a basketball standpoint, if you have a president of basketball operations who is a basketball man, he's usually going to have the final say. But most presidents are going to defer to their general manager. And, and that's just the way that it is. So I say all that to say, because I don't I wouldn't say that I have that level of sourcing to know whether Steve Mills was the one that said, oh, I want Alfred Payton or I want Mario Hazonia or Bobby Portis or what have you. I would say that you just have to look at them as a tandem and you have to consider the moves that happen to be on somebody's watch or on their watch as a collective. Now, the last thing I'll say about that is I will also say that I believe in a thing called per se credit, right? It happened. Therefore, if it was on your watch and it was good, you're going to get credit for it from me. If you were there and it was bad, then you're going to get blamed for it. That's, that's kind of the way that I approach it. And I look at, look at Mike Brown, for example, right? Mike Brown, former head coach of the Cleveland Cavaliers. Most people will look back at it and say like, man, Mike Brown didn't really seem like he had much strategy when it came time to coaching. You look at some of the Cavs advanced stats related to their ATOs, their after timeout plays. And you're just like, man, like LeBron made these game winning shots and everything, but they sure didn't look like they were doing anything creative on the offensive. Can Mike Brown actually draw plays? And we don't know the answer to that question, but because he's the coach of a team that wins 66 games, we're like, oh, Mike Brown is a brilliant coach. You know, Mike Brown, coach of the year candidate. You know what I mean? Like, and that's kind of the way that it works. And I think that it really needs to cut both ways. You know what I mean? Like, if we're going to give guys credit, if we're going to blame guys when things don't go well, then we have to give them at least some credit when on their watch, good things happen. And on Scott Perry's watch for the Knicks, good things have happened. No, that's, that's a great way to talk about. I like the per se, you know, if you've been there when good things happen, you get credit for good things. If you're there for bad things, when bad things happens, you get credit for the bad things that happen. No, that's a great way to look at it. I agree 100%. Fair is fair. Totally is. It's so hard to say like, well, Scott Perry did everything right. And Steve Mills was just, you know, there for the ride and you can't give him any credit. Man, it's totally unfair because he was there for the ride, but you mentioned playoffs. You mentioned a lot of wins, especially with Mike Brown. You mentioned coach of the year, which we, Definitely having Tom Thibodeau and this team is going to the playoffs. So you wrote a piece 
talking about how no one wants to see the New York Knicks in the playoffs. And I agree, but that could just be me being a brash New York Knicks fan and just saying, you know, just fear us. And I could be just loud and boisterous right now because we are number four. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that no one should want to see us in the playoffs. But do you think that's true for the Atlanta Hawks? Because the, the, the second time that, or not the second time, the third time we played the Hawks, it looked like Trey Young and Quick Capella were, were going to do a little bit of damage on us until Trey Young got hurt. Do you think that stands true for this matchup that you have right now? I know you said at the beginning that you see us could, could win this, could win this matchup even if we don't. It's still a successful season, but do you see, do you see that being, what do you see about this, this playoff matchup with the, with the Atlanta Hawks is where I'm trying to get at? It's going to be a challenge. Uh, it's definitely, definitely going to be a challenge. You know, I mean, Trey Young is, his first, his first playoff appearance, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. So, I mean, okay, very dynamic player, very, uh, you know, he's a guard who can, who can dominate, dominate games. You know, I think over the course of the season, he's kind of shown us that, uh, he sees the floor a little better than we thought that he did. And he's also moving the ball more willingly than he did earlier in his career, in my opinion. Um, aside from that, you know, the Hawks, they just, they just have a lot of firepower. You know, and I think over the course of the season, they did have a, a fair amount of uh, of their difference makers missing some games because of injury. So, you know, you figure if they were healthy for the entire season, like maybe maybe they're not a fifth seed, you know, maybe maybe they fare a little better in the Eastern Conference. So de- definitely a lot of positives to say about that team. Uh That said, you know, the whole thing about. The Knicks are a team that nobody wants to see. We've seen it now in, uh, I'm just so, so many, so many things kind of going through my head right now, right? But, um, the difference making games, let's say they beat the Celtics before the Celtics was, was, uh, the, the Hornets, right? Hornets, Mm -hmm. Spurs. And, and the Spurs. And I mean, like we've seen, at least, at least four games, I would say, in, in the final two, two to three weeks of the season where the Knicks looked like they were flat. They looked like they didn't really have it. And somebody sparked them. So, somewhere they got a spark. And in many cases, it was, it was RJ Barrett. In many cases, it was him. But the thing about them is that what, what veteran players like, can I say ass on this podcast? You can do whatever yeah. you want, man. All right, cool. Just making sure. <laughs> so what veteran players like and what coaches like is they like when they can just go into a game, kick your ass, and the final 18 minutes of the game is just like we just chilling. We cruising, especially in the playoffs and especially in the first round of the playoffs. LeBron James don't want to have to do no playing tournament to get in the playoffs. <laughs> he doesn't, doesn't want to have to play the Suns in the first round. Like He, does, he doesn't want to exert energy in the first round. And that's really what it is about the Knicks. These guys... They're going to, they're going to come after you for 48 minutes. And if you, if you outplay them in the first 38 minutes of that game and you find yourself with 10 minutes in the fourth and you're up by 12, you cannot let up. You know what I mean? Like these guys are going to play the full game. They don't quit. They're not going to give up and it's going to be a long series. Yeah. You know, if the Knicks, if the Knicks ended up against Milwaukee, you know, I would have taken them to, to take at least two game, two games from Milwaukee. You know what I mean? Like I would have taken that that series to go six or seven. In fact, in fact, I was on ESPN radio on Saturday and it looked like the Knicks were going to draw Milwaukee. And I said I was going to go six or seven. And that is just who the Knicks have proven themselves to be over the long season. They're a team that is not going to give up. They're a team that is going to defend the hell out of you. And on the offensive end, you might be able to stop them, but they're not going to make it easy. They're going to move the ball. You know, they got three or four guys on that team that are capable of having a big night and helping them pull out a win. So preparing for them is going to be difficult and holding all of those guys down four out of seven times. It's not going to be easy. It can be done, obviously, but it's not going to be easy. So, you know, the, the Hawks are going to have their work, work cut out for them. You know, it's not, it's not going to be, uh, it's not going to be a walk in the park, especially with, with the Knicks having the home court advantage, I think that's going to be another factor in there. 
Do you have any concern, though? Because these last three games, we saw the Knicks kind of go flat, and we saw them against the Hornets, and we saw them especially against the Celtics, where we had the Celtics C unit come up and make it a close <laughs> game towards the end. So do you think the Knicks what, – what what do you expect from that? Do you think the Knicks are getting a little flat towards the end of the season, or do you think they were just coasting because they didn't care what position they are, but other opposing teams do care if they got to face the Knicks because the Knicks just play defense all 48 minutes? Yeah, I, I mean, look, it's it's the NBA, like, and and that that happens, you know. Like, if if we sat here and thought about it hard enough, we we could probably find three or four examples just on the final day of the season where teams got up big and took their foot off the gas, and all of a sudden, now, damn, now now that now we're in a tight game, you know what I mean? Like, it it happens in the NBA. At the end of the day, what's more important than anything else is did you win? Did you walk away with the win? And if you did, sometimes it actually says more about who you are as a team for you to pull those kind of games out, right? Are you, are, do you panic? Like, are you a deer in the headlights when, when a team is up by 20 and the other team comes back and they cut, cut the lead to one? What happens at that point? Does Julius Randle curse RJ Barrett out in the huddle? And do they get mad at each other? And do they fail to execute? Or or do they put their heads together and say, okay, look, we got ourselves in a bad situation, but this is how we're going to rebound from it. This is how we're going to win the game. Which one of those two things happen? And if you're a mature team, and if you're a team that knows how to, to put teams away and pull out close games, then that question will be answered in the result of the contest. Right. So I, I would actually go the other way and say that it's the NBA teams make runs. Obviously, you would prefer for a team to not let an inferior opponent back into a contest, but it happens. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, the question is, did you win? And if you did, on to the next. You know what I mean? So. So, I mean, look, if, if I have concerns, like if I'm if I'm Tom Thibodeau and if I'm the Knicks and you want to ask me about what concerns me, you know, I might be a little concerned about about, you know, John Collins and, and Clint Capella. You know what I mean? Like those guys are a pretty, pretty intimidating front court. And I might worry about Taj Gibson's ability to to keep up with those young guys over the course of a seven game series. You know what I mean? Because the Knicks are leaning on Taj Gibson a lot and he's a bit longer in the tooth. Right. Nerlens Noel being as aggressive as he is around the basket is Nerlens going to be able to keep himself out of foul trouble. I'm not sure that he'll be able to. And if Taj gets tired and if Nerlens get in, gets in foul trouble, then what's going to happen to the interior defense? Mm-hmm. So that's going to be an, an, an obvious concern if I'm Tom Thibodeau. Aside from that, you know, you think about uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich and, and Trey Young and their ability to shoot from deep. <laughs> think about Danilo Gallinari on the bench and, and Lou Williams, who they have there as well. Th- those would be concerns for me. But for the most part, I think if I'm Tom Thibodeau, I have confidence in my perimeter defense. I think the Knicks were the, the number, I don't know if they were number one, but they were definitely one of the top teams in defending the three point line and in overall defensive efficiency. I think they were top four or something like that. So like I said, if I'm the Knicks and I'm staring at the prospect of having to play Giannis or Miami or Atlanta, it's, it's not even a question. It's not even a question who I'm taking. And if I'm Tom Thibodeau, I'm pretty happy right now that, that I'm looking at Atlanta and that I have, I have an opportunity to advance the second round, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. My, my, my favorite part of the article was that you kind of emphasized that our def- our strength is our defense and it's stronger than how weak our offense can be. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So does the does the ISOs at the end of the game worry you a little bit? Like the Julius Randle kind of gets into those moods where he's like, "I got a hero ball it up," and we kind of fall. Yeah, that that is definitely a concern. I put some of that on the coach as well. I think, and it's not just Tom Thibodeau. I think a lot of coaches in the NBA are too happy to just give. If look, if I have Damian Lillard or if I have Steph Curry, um. Those are really the only two that I could think of. Um, I mean, I'm not even going to put LeBron there, you know, and I, I don't think I would necessarily put Anthony Davis there either. Um, but Lillard and, and Steph, the reason why I mentioned them is because, number one, they have unlimited range. 
But number two, they also can take pretty much anybody off the dribble. You know what I mean? So I'm okay if I have one of those two guys to just give them the ball and say, make something happen. But aside from that, at the end of games, I would like to see more creativity. I would like to see plays drawn. I would like to see pick and pops. I would like to see backdoor cuts. Like it doesn't always have to be give the ball to our best player ISO against what will usually be the other team's best defender and hope that the guy makes the shot. It's just dumb from a strategic standpoint, in Mm -hmm. my opinion. Mm -hmm. And I'll even tell you the Lakers game. I don't know if you guys know Tommy Beer. But Tommy Beer is actually a dear friend of mine. Um, definitely, uh, one of the, I enjoy his writing too. <laughs> the, one of the best Knicks scribes out there. And we were actually texting during the game. And I told him, I said, look, I guarantee you on this final possession, Randall is going to be ISOed against Anthony Davis, which is dumb. You never want anyone to be ISO. You're not going to score on Anthony Davis, bro. Like, what are you thinking? <laughs> And what, I, what, what if they're trying to screen and move Davis off of him? What a novel concept, yeah. you know? Yeah. And that's and that's the thing. Like they isolated him one on one against Anthony. And I don't even think he got a shot off, if I if I remember correctly. And all I could do not. was just all I could do was laugh because funny thing, Anthony Davis and Julius Randle happen to be uh, like really good friends. Boys. Yep. Anthony Davis is actually the reason why Randle went to New Orleans, right? They have the contempt. You don't think Anthony Davis knew what Julius Randle was going to try to do? <laughs> yeah, I've seen I mean? it a million so, times. You're exa- right. Exactly. Exactly. So it was just a, but anyway, to, 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 yeah. to, to answer the question, John, um, yeah, I think all teams are guilty of that. Um, I think that Randall committed a critical turnover. He failed to pass out of a double team on one of the, the, the final few possessions of, of that Celtics game. And I mean, yeah, it's, you know, it happens, right? Young player. Hasn't really been in these situations a lot. And you just hope that he learns from it and that he gets better from it. And you hope that Tom Thibodeau next time says, hey, you know what? Maybe we should try an off-ball screen. Maybe we should try a backdoor cut. Maybe we should try to give Randall an outlet somewhere in case he gets an opening and we have a shot to get a layup to push us ahead. You know what I mean? But learning experiences all around. And, you know, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what, what th- this Knicks team is able to do against the Hawks. You know, and I mean... If they if they happen to win the series, it'll be the second time they've won a playoff series since what, like two thousand one or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like it's mm-hmm. it's it's been it's been a while, man. So you know, it definitely be a, a nice outcome for Knicks fans. Yeah, well, listen, if everybody tells me in every sport defense wins championships, if you're telling me the Knicks are top three, four in efficiency, number one in points allowed. Three point defense. If the Hawks have in the off season defensive concerns during the season defensive concerns, I mean, then you have to take the Knicks, right? Am I being a Knicks homer <laughs> or am I correct when I say Knicks in six? Give me your, give me your series. Uh, <laughs> well, first I'll say this. Who's, who's the higher seeded team? Who has home court advantage? Right. Like right then and there in the first round of the NBA playoffs. Again, I'm just making up a number, but the higher city team probably wins like 75 percent of the time. Right. Mm-hmm. So just based on that alone, you're not crazy for, for thinking that the Knicks are going to win the series. Um, that said, I think that they'll probably get the series as well. Mm-hmm. I if I were going to pick, let's see, they're going to have two, two, one, one, one. That means you're thinking that they, I mean, Nixon six, I, oh no, game six would be in Atlanta. Yeah. Maybe I'll take the Nixon seven. Okay. Maybe I'll take them in seven. Young team winning a game six on the road might be a bit difficult, but I mean, trust me, man, one thing to, to, to keep an eye on over the course of the series is going to be how fresh Trey Young looks, Mm -hmm. right? Because, you know, four, four or five games of getting, you know, hit and getting banged on by Alfred Payton. Quote unquote, quote unquote hit, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, but he's going to get some real hits in this one. He's going to get some real hits. But yeah, I mean, the Knicks, the Knicks are going to bang these guys up, man. The Knicks are a tough team. The Knicks are very, very physical. That's who they've been all season long. And the Hawks, you know, more, more of a finesse team, I think Mm -hmm. more, you know, a sexier team than the Knicks are, I think. So, Mm -hmm. 
you know, we'll we'll see. You know, come game five, come game six, we'll see who has the dead legs. We'll see who's still fresh. We'll see if those long jump shots from Bogdanovich and, and Danilo Gallinari and Trey Young are still falling, especially with the Knicks being one of the top uh, three-point defenses in the NBA. So, again, on paper, you know, I think that it's the matchup. I think it's the best possible matchup for the Knicks that yeah. you could have asked for in the first round. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they've overachieved all season long. So I'm not mad at anybody for thinking that, that the trend is going to continue. Okay, we got two out of three on the Knicks. Tratocaster, what do we got? I'm going to take the Knicks, too. I'm going to go seven-game series because I think it's going to be a gritty one because both are young teams, as Mo pointed out. And I think it's you know it's going to be a big warning experience for everyone, for both sides. But I still think the Knicks will because defense wins championships. So I'm going to take that overall. But Mo, because I know I got to get you out of here, rapid-fire questions. Uh, most intriguing matchups that you want to see in the first round of the playoffs, and who do you think comes out of both conferences? Okay. Most intriguing matchup. I mean, well, thanks to the play-in, we have, uh, well, I guess it's actually funny. We actually don't know what some of the matchups are going to be. Yes. Uh, um, <laughs> True. But, uh, you know, the Lakers Suns, I think would be, would be great. You know, I'm, I'm a big, I'm a big believer in Chris Paul, but I, I feel kind of sorry for him because man, you know, for the Suns to have to play the Lakers in the first round, it'll just be another blemish on his record. If the Suns, lost that series if that series even happened right because they could actually end up playing the warriors which would also be a pretty uh pretty pretty nice series to see i'm I'm asking a dumb question i'm sorry to cut you off Uh uh-huh is there any weird strategy to not play the suns to lose that game against the warriors and kind of get put up against the jazz because there's no way the lakers lose to the jazz like literally no way in a seven game series the Suns, it's possible. You know, Booker, D-Book could have like 45 or two, three games. Chris Paul against a point guardless Laker team. They could do it. So do you think they're, I know you can't, they're not going to, they're not going to lose a game on purpose. Right. But is there like some sort of like, I hope maybe we play the Jazz instead? So they're not going to lose the game on purpose, but maybe. They just, just like, don't try to win that. No, hard, no, no. Just right? like, like, would they, would they, would they secretly be happier to play the Jazz over the Suns? So they're not going to be that upset if they lose the Warriors game, even though the media and us, our hair, even though I don't have any, would all be on fire. Yeah. I, so I think that if you're the Lakers, and I know this for a fact, coaches and, and, and players like, Coaches have told me this, right? Like, you know, in private, they look at the playoff brackets and they're just like, okay, well, and I was actually explaining this to my wife the other day. Um, she's become like such a huge basketball fan. It's like, it's like so awesome. We're like watching That's the other great. day. We're, we're watching the other day and she's like saying like, oh, so if this happens and they're going to be number four, then they're going to be number six. And I'm just like, I wish I was recording this right now. Because you get it. You <laughs> finally get it. You get yeah. me. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so when they're when they're trying to figure out whether they want to win the 80th game of the season or not, they're actually looking at the entire playoff tree. And if you're the Lakers, and what I, so the, what I was explaining to, to to Jody, my wife's name is Jody. What I was explaining to Jody the other day is I was saying that a lot of the time when you're talking about being number two versus number three, what's really important is the second round, right? Mm. Because if you're number two versus no i'm sorry we're talking about number three and number four is really what we were talking about but the point is where you are in the bracket and who your next matchup would be so if you're the the lakers if you go in as the ace first of all they're they're going to try to win that game right because number one i will say this players do not like having to play more games so they're already pissed off that they have to play one game to get into the playoffs if they lose that game and now they have to play a second game and then they could potentially have to play 28 more games in the playoffs to win a championship, nobody wants to play extra games. So that's, that's the first thing. But the other thing now, if you're the Lakers, very important here, you know, I, let me, I should probably double check my bracket just to make sure it's the same time last time I looked at it. But if you're the Lakers and you go in as the eighth seed, you might say, okay, yeah. We'll get the Jazz in the first round. We can probably beat them. But then who you got to play in the second round? 
you got to play the Clippers, right? Mm-hmm. If if I'm the oh right, because the Clippers are definitely going to beat the Jazz. I skipped that part. Like not not even a competition. Clippers are going to beat. I I said the Dallas. Jazz. I meant the, right, the Mavs. I meant to say the Mavs. The Clippers are going to beat the Mavs. But if you're the Lakers, if you beat the Suns in the first round, in the second round, you'd have the winner of Denver and Portland. And the Lakers beat both of those teams last season. So if I'm looking at it that from, from that perspective, I think Phoenix is like, okay, yeah, you know, you figure Donovan Mitchell's not going to be 100% healthy. So Utah, you know, you might be able to get them, but then you're going to have the Clippers in the second round. I'm not sure that's an ideal scenario for the Lakers. Um, if I'm them, I would much rather have either Denver or Portland. And I think that's probably the way that they're going to be looking at it. So, so yeah, I think, I think they're going to give Steph Curry all, all they got and they're going to try to win that game and secure that seventh seed. All right. And so is that your most interesting, intriguing, uh, intriguing series right there? Uh, uh, well, I mean, I suppose, but I, I was actually going to say that, uh, we got, we got kind of lucky. Now we need, this is what we need. We need the Wizards to beat the Celtics. Ooh. That's what we need. We need the Wizards Ooh. to beat the Celtics. And the reason why is because if that happens, we're going to get Russell Westbrook versus Kevin Durant in yep. a, se- a seven-game playoff series. And I will tell you this. I'm not the biggest Russell Westbrook fan, but Russell Westbrook will kill himself <laughs> on the basketball court <laughs> if, if it meant knocking Durant and the Nets out of the play. Russell Westbrook is going to try everything possible to beat those guys. And I don't think he will, but damn it, I'm going to be watching that. So I, I really do hope, I hope the Wizards, uh, I hope they, they, they win that matchup. I hope we get Nets, um, I hope the Wizards beat the Celtics and then I hope we get Nets Wizards in the first round. And that would be it for me. All right. And now who, who do you got coming out of both conferences? Ah, right, 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 right. Yeah, it was supposed to be lightning round, and we ended up sitting here talking for another 20 minutes. Well, I'm, I'm yeah. super long-winded. I know I'm super long-winded. No, man. We love it, man. We're, we're, we're so excited about the playoffs, and we can't believe we're not thinking about the lottery, the draft. Mm-hmm. It's a whole different world for us. Yeah. I think we're going to have a new – I think we're going to have the, the, the New York-LA NBA Finals. Mm. But just not necessarily the two teams that you're expecting. Mm-hmm. I think, I think the Lakers are, I mean, we got to see with them, but it would be quite impressive for them to win the Western Conference again, considering the fact that they've been banged up all season long. Mm-hmm. Um, the lowest seeded team to ever win the finals was a six seed. So the Lakers would have to buck history to, to win it. But we have we have seen an eighth seeded team win the conference. You know the Knicks did that as an eighth seed. So, but I'm going with the Clippers, man. I'm taking the Clippers to come out of the Western Conference. I think that a lot of people have kind of soured on them and have fallen asleep on them because of the way they kind of folded in the bubble last season. Mm-hmm. But I think I think with what Lou Williams went through, Montrezl Harrell losing his grandmother, Paul George battling some depression, like. I feel like there was so much going on with the Clippers that it was an aberration. You know, like I don't think that that was really indicative of the talent that they have this season. I think they have a more talented team. I think they're more cohesive. And I think the pain of what happened last year and the question is that we've been asking about them. I think, I think that, uh, I think it's going to make them better the same way it's made the Sixers better this season. So I'm taking the Clippers to come out of the West. Out of the Eastern Conference, again, we talk about bucking historic trends. Uh, I saw a stat the other day that the team that won the championship, so 10 games, right? Mm-hmm. The, the Lakers' top three players in 2001 played together 10 times, and they managed to win the championship anyway, but... They were actually defending champions, right? They won in 2000. Mm-hmm. So it's not really the same for Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant and James Harden to only play eight regular season games together and win a championship. That would actually be quite an accomplishment. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure that they can do that. However, if they're so talented on the offensive side of the basketball that it's hard to pick against them. So I'm going to go Clippers Nets in the NBA finals, man. New York, oh. LA, just not the New York, LA that we, we thought we'd have. So I'm wow. going, I'm going Nets clips. Okay. I like it. All right. Not really like it, but it's, it, I, I appreciate it. I don't like the Nets at all, but, uh, I'm not surprised to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> it'll be, a, it'll be a definitely interesting matchup. Kawhi and PG 13 against Kyrie, Harden and KD. Uh, we'll get to see the Claw and KD matchup, which will be a lot of fun. But Moke, thank you for your time. Thank you for your insight. Really appreciate it. Um, please let the listeners know where they can follow you. Um, at Moke Hamilton on, on Twitter, M-O-K-E Hamilton. And you can check me out as well as our awesome staff at basketballnews.com. We have a lot of, uh, great insights there. We have some player columnists on staff as well as some player players doing podcasts. And it's a, it's a kick-ass time, man. So I'd appreciate it if you guys went and checked it out. And uh, stay up on Twitter, man, and come at me about about those predictions, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And keep, and keep up on those uh, articles because um, Alex and I, we message each other all the time just randomly on insights from your stuff. So if you're listening, if you're still here, Definitely check out his NBA articles. They're not biased. And he's a Knicks fan, so it, it feels good at the end of the day. He's one of Absolutely. Us. Absolutely. <laughs> well, Mo, Much once again, thank you. Once again, thank you for coming on. Really appreciate your time. Everyone out there, you know what to do. Please make sure to give us a five-star rating if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts and give us a review as well. We are available on all listening platforms, Spotify, Overcast, Stitcher, Google Play, you name it, we are there. Also, please make sure to follow us on all social media platforms, whether it's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. All right, everyone, we'll catch you later this week with another Jets podcast. All right, catch you later, everyone. Go Knicks.